Hello and welcome back to the Beatcast. I'm really not sure what episode we're on. It's been a while since we've been able to do this. I think the last one we did was Good Friday. That sounds accurate. And it's uh, so so we're excited to finally get back into this. We recovered from the Easter weekend, which is always a big weekend around the church. Uh, but it was great. It was wonderful. Yeah, it only took a whole month to recover. It's May first. It happens. Easter was at the end of March. Well, what happened to April? Or was it the beginning of April? It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But it's May now, which and is we're crazy. Back. And we're back. Um, but it's good to be here. And Byron, it's good, as always, to have you here to be my co-host. I'm glad to be here. Uh, so today, our topic is discipleship. And it's interesting. It's it's a word we've been throwing around recently. You've been preaching on it. We've been talking about it, uh, pushing people in the church to become better disciples and talking about what that means. And we want to expound on that today. Uh, so to start us off, uh, discipleship, Byron, what does it mean to be a disciple? So to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you know, in, in its bare bones description is to be a follower to truly be a follower of Jesus. Um, Jesus modeled this by saying, I only do what I see my father doing in heaven. In other words, Jesus was a follower of God. And because Jesus came, we were able to really see an image within man, you know, what it means to follow. Because it was hard to follow a God who you could not see. But in Jesus, the embodiment of, of God made into flesh is a translation of, of God's being into something that we could comprehend a lot better because God's just so much bigger than we are that it's uh, very difficult to fathom even just a piece of who God is. But in Jesus, we have that translation. And so it is, it is a follower. That's where we'll start today, Micah, oh. a follower All of Jesus. Right. So to be a disciple, I got to follow Jesus. Now, obviously, it's much deeper than that. Uh, to be a follower of Jesus, you know, it, it can mean something on the very shallow, first level uh, disciple. And that's okay if you're, if you're starting there, obviously, you know, figuring out who Jesus is, what do we do? Um, when you become a Christian, it's really the first thing you start doing is you become a disciple. And, you know, a lot of new Christians are really into the discipleship thing without realizing it because they want to read, they want to study, they want to show up and listen to all the preachers preaching and hear all these sermons and talk about it. Um, but that's discipleship at its core, um, mm -hmm. being a follower of Christ. Uh, but what else? Yep. And the goal, so the, the end goal, I would say, of discipleship is found in the Bible in Matthew chapter 28, um, where we call it the Great Commission. Uh, where Jesus tells him in verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so the, the idea is that in being a disciple, you will make disciples. That discipleship is not just about you. It's actually about belonging to the entire community of believers. And that's the significance of the baptism. Here, baptism was understood, and still today, at least from, from our Baptist theological perspective, that your baptism is your entry into the community of Christ. It is the beginning in public acknowledgement 
that you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and thereby are entwined or interconnected with the other believers, the disciples. We're all journeying together. And so you can't be a disciple in a silo. A disciple is not someone who has Jesus all just to themselves and they have this very private um, relationship that's a part of it. But it's done in tandem with the community that God has brought you to and connected you with. Yeah, community is so important in your discipleship uh, because it influences you. Uh, and at the same time, you're part of that community and influencing the community. Uh, and that's so vital to everything that Jesus taught us, that everything you do, you do in community uh, mm-hmm. with other believers. Uh, and that helps you grow. That helps you become uh, a better understander of who Jesus is, who God is, and what our call is for life. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I, I often ask myself is whose life is changed and different because I'm in it. And and specifically changed in a way that would inspire them to want to be closer to God. If we're disciples, that there there should be at some point, we should grow to the point and not even doing this deliberately. It's just a part of, of being a disciple and walking out the call that God has on your life. Um Somebody should be inspired to get closer to God, to to come to Christ because of the life, the disciple life that you are living. And so I ask myself that question. It's it's a litmus test moment. You know, whose life is different because of the life that I'm living as a disciple? At my job, at at even at my church, right? Who who what what disciples? or even new people coming in are being affected by the walk that I'm living. And and here's the, or the antithesis of that, right? Who am I turning off? <laughs> right. Who's running from Jesus? Because of what you're doing. Uh, hopefully nobody. Oh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think that's the, the key difference there between a disciple and somebody who's, uh, as you put in one of your sermons, just a fan. Um, it goes back to the analogy of difference between a leader and a boss, a leader, somebody who's with his team or her team, uh, pushing with them, fighting with them, uh, among them, where a boss is the person with the whip behind them. Being a disciple in a community uh, means you're inspiring people to be better, as you said. You're you're encouraging others to really uh, to step out, to do better, to be better, to step out in faith, to try things, to step out their comfort zone. If if you're tearing down people in your discipleship, it's probably not discipleship. Yeah. Or if somebody's tearing you down or saying, oh, this is discipleship is probably not. Uh, discipleship is about building of the community. Mm-hmm. And the problem here is you have to be at a certain place within your own discipleship before you can disciple others. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of times people start trying to disciple others. They have really noble intentions and they're very excited and their heart is as big as the ocean and they're ready to step out there and start helping people, but they're not really ready to do so. Think about the context in which the disciples get this great commission to go out and make disciples. There were many other chapters within this gospel that had passed many more experiences. The disciples had been through quite a bit of turmoil, frustration. They had even aired on disbanding after Jesus' death. I mean, you've got a lot of things. They've been through storms. They've seen healing. They went through a multitude of experiences and growth and had been tried by the fire and now here they are and Jesus is saying all right now you're ready to make disciples of others because you you know what it feels like to go through 
the discipleship process. And that does not mean that they stop being disciples. They are still disciples and growing, but they're at a place within their own spiritual maturity to where they can actually reach out and help others. And I think a lot of times we start trying to help people before we're in a position to really be able to help them. And we end up hurting more than helping. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that happens a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. And especially because gifts come without repentance. So you can be gifted. You can be gifted at what you do at singing, at, at playing a musical instrument, at preaching, or even teaching God's word. This isn't about your gifts. This isn't about what you can offer to the kingdom. This is about where you are in your own process of discipleship. And you may be engaging at a level of expertise within your gift, and you may be good at it. You may be great at it, but you may not have matched your spiritual maturation with that. And so now you've got this issue because you're good at talking it, but your walking out is a little suspect. And so you can sing about love, but you can't really love. Yeah, there's there's so much that comes into what it means to be a disciple. So much comes into your discipleship. Um, that is just not a, a, a tiny part of who you are. It's not just something you do at church or something you do at work or, uh-huh. uh, oh, I'm a disciple because, as you said, I sing or I lead the small group or whatever that looks like. Uh, it's all that you are. It's a literal lifestyle change and action. Yep. So the question is, are you following Jesus? Or, or are you expecting Jesus to follow you? And I can look back over my life and, and see where there were times where I thought I was following Jesus, but really I was waiting for Jesus to get on my page Yep. instead of surrendering myself to God's page and saying, God, you direct me, you order my footsteps, your timing, not my timing. Uh, you, you take the wheel, you take control of this. I want to be obedient. Yeah. And, and that's something I think we all do. I've definitely done that where it's kind of like, okay, I want to do this and I want to do it for the kingdom or, you know, like if I do this, maybe I'll be rewarded for it. Uh, but the motives that are still there is what do I get out of it? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, there are a lot of things that I, you know, I wanted to do, which would benefit the kingdom, but it's also going to benefit me. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the motivation behind it? Uh, uh, whereas she more of what is God calling me to, and no matter what that looks like, that's where you respond. And I think we get caught up in that so often that we're like, oh, well, it, it's still good for the kingdom. If I get this pay raise, I'm going to give more to the church. And so I'm going to do this. And Jesus, I know is going to help me because it's going to benefit the kingdom. Well, you might want to recheck that. Yeah. Check the motives to see if it's really about God, because the first step in discipleship is forsaking everything else. Leave everything else and follow me. That's that's what Jesus says. You think about the rich young ruler, right? Who, who had done everything. Oh, I've just been this great, awesome, stupendous Christian. I go to church. I tithe. I fast. I pray. I have checked everything off on the good Christian checklist. And Jesus says, mm, there's one thing. I want you to go and sell all your possessions and follow me. And he goes away crying because that is a sacrifice that he was not willing. It, it hit him in his gut. He could not give up the one thing that was still holding him hostage from being a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and my question for all of us is, what, what may be getting in the way of our own discipleship? If God says, give up this television show, 
give up watching, give up social media for a week or two or, or give up certain aspects of things, you know, can you give it up? Can, can you give up going certain places? Can you give up some of the things that are hindering you from being able to commit to those things that God has called you to? Can you give up? Sometimes there may be relationships that, that, you know, are toxic and unhealthy. And God is saying, you need to walk away from this. You need to give this up. Do you do that and surrender and sacrifice it all to God? Or do you walk away crying like the rich young ruler saying, I can't do that. That's just, I'm, I want to be a disciple, but that level of sacrifice is too much for me. I experienced this on a number of levels. It, it used to be disheartening earlier on in this walk, but now you, you come to expect it. I remember being in seminary and many people have heard me tell this story. But I remember being in seminary and, and I had gone through some pretty turbulent experiences within the church. And I'm in seminary really disheartened about becoming a pastor and feeling that that was not something I wanted to do. Let me go into technology. I will serve. I will still worship. I will still be a follower of Jesus. You know, all these things, but I do not want to pastor. I do not want to have that much influence on people's lives. You know, there were just a number of aspects I did not want to have to deal with. And then there's the whole, you know, wondering about how money and everything would go. So the the problem is God sees that and then pushes right into it and says, but is it going to be my will or your will? Are you going to surrender completely? Not, not a little bit, not to just being a good Christian, not to just being a regular attendee and worshiper and studying the word. Are you really going to say, yes, I surrendered my will to your will. Oh God, I will follow you all the way. And that created, you know, a, a serious season of prayer and a journey for me to surrenderance in which God met me in a very powerful way. And, and now, you know, years later, people look and, and it's like, you know, you knew you were going to be a pastor all this time, but yeah, but there took a lot of work for me to get to the place in my own discipleship where I was able to follow Jesus at this level. And then you get through that. And then there's something else that presents itself. That's a struggle. Yeah. It's, it, it always catches you off guard on, on, on the direction that God's pulling you. Um, it's, it's, you're never ready for it. You're never uh, sure what's happening. And it's, it's hard when people see you from the outside and, you know, see where you need to be going. And you're like, I got stuff I'm dealing with that you don't even want to talk about, uh, to get where, you know, God's pulling you. Um, and I think that's why it's important to be in such a, a good and healthy community that you can talk about that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that for, for me joining Berean, um, to have that healthy community, to be able to be honest about where I'm coming from, the, the things I'm dealing with, the things I'm trying to overcome, uh, to be a better follower. Um, but I had to be discipled by the right people to really be like, no, I, I understand you feel this way and that's okay. Cause I understand your background. Um, where if you had heard, you know, the, the, some of the things I was feeling or thinking, you know, said on TV, you might, you know, freak out, but it's like, nope, we got to understand people and where they're at and what they're going through. 
Uh, and that's the healthy part of discipleship and why you have to be willing to be discipled and understand completely who you are. Yeah. Because if you don't, then you're going to be triggered. You're going to trigger other people in your community. And it's just going to cause a, a wave of, of anger, confusion, frustration, and you're just going to hurt people more than you're going to help them. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are there. I think they've had those negative experiences and that's the reason why they don't want to engage. But I must say this, there is a difference between being a church member and a disciple. Now you can be a church member and a disciple or a church member who is a disciple, but we live in an era now where I believe it is very comfortable and better fitting for many people to just be church members or regular attendees and not disciples. And Jesus did not say, go therefore into the world getting members of churches in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He says, no, make disciples. This is an intimate relationship, which means we have to get to know each other. We have to build, we have to deal with conflict and grow from that. Uh, we have to get real with each other, let each other in on, on, a, on a deeper level. We can't come in and just get our two minutes of Jesus, not connect in, in meaningful ways and go on back out and feel that, you know, we've paid our dues. A lot of us, we worship out of guilt. We come to church to not feel guilty about our walk with God almost like paying dues. And so if I come to church, I've paid my dues of presence to Jesus. I've given my money, my dues to Jesus. And so now I'm in good graces with Jesus. Therefore, I don't have to feel guilty. And now I can go about my business and do what I want to do with my life. That's just buying into membership. And that works at any, at any facility. You can become a member of a gym right now, and they're not going to care whether you show up or not. They make a lot of money from people because they don't show up because if everybody actually showed up, they wouldn't have room for you. But they bank on the expectation in gym membership that they are going to outsell people who are actually going to engage <laughs> in membership. And so they're benefiting. Right. And and many people have it because also it's the same guilt I, I, in my mind. I'm going to work out. I'm going to do this and going to do that. And most people who have memberships don't go to the gym. And I've been members of many gyms in which I have not attended. Right. And and you're even hang on to it for for months, talking and lying to yourself, acting like you're going to go consistently. Same thing, uh, not exactly, but there's some serious parallels there with, with church. We, we buy into this membership mentality where it is a quid pro pro engagement that has nothing to do with intimate interaction and relationship between God and each other. And to be a disciple, if you want to move from just being that member or just being that attendee to being a disciple, what that says is, okay, I am not here for my personal motivational factors. I am here because I want to do God's will. And I want to surrender and I want to be a complete whole follower 
of Jesus, not a perfect follower, right? Because we're not perfect. You're going to struggle. You're going to fall. You're going to get new revelation that sends you to the altar, repenting and all that. That's, that's a part of the journey. But what you are saying is, I want to truly be a disciple. I want to be a follower. And I'll say this too. I'm kind of caught up. I got messed up by this point. You know, we want the benefits of discipleship, but we want the input of being a member. Yeah. And and so, you know, there are benefits that come from being a disciple. Because when you're on the path of discipleship and you're doing God's will, God's made provisions for that. God's going to cover things. There's so many things because you're in God's will that are just flowing. We want the flow of discipleship without being a disciple. We want to just be able to be a church member. And we've done a bad job as churches contemporarily at, at, at feeding into this because we make it a one moment, come to the altar, just accept Jesus thing. And we don't let people know that, no, you're being invited to discipleship. This moment where you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, it is the beginning. It is not the end. The only thing it is the end of is who you were before you came right. to this altar. <laughs> that person's dying right now. Right, right. There's uh, uh, the jump back, but we heard a story earlier this week, uh, Byron and I did. And um, what was said, it was, it was talking about um, she was joining a church. She joined the, she went to this church. She joined this church. And the first thing the pastor said is great. What do you want to do? And she's like, what, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you just joined the church. And when you join the church, we put you to work. And it wasn't. And, and while he said work to her, what he was saying was time to be a disciple, Yep. time to do something. And this is why churches stress so much the, the importance of volunteership. Uh, to, to be a part of a ministry, to get involved, to do things. It's not to overwhelm you with uh, Jesus talk. It's not to overwhelm you with a community and to pull you from your friends. It's to show you that being a part of this life means there is work to do. You're going to receive, you're, you're able to show up and sit in church and worship and receive, but you got to give too. It's not a one-way street. Uh, and a lot of people, as you said, they want to show up. They want the benefits of being a member. Uh, the, the input, as you said, you know, to be able to show up, oh, I'm a member. I can vote on this. I can say what I want to do here. Well, I should be on leadership here and there because, you know, I'm a member and, you know, I've been here forever. But what kind of work has you put forward? What kind of involvement do you have with other people in your church and leading them or being a part of a team to be led? That's what it means to be a disciple, to go to work in your church, in your community, in your job and what you're doing. That's where pl- uh, leading out, playing out, the role of a disciple really mm-hmm. is. And through that interaction, growth happens within your own heart and your own spiritual walk. Because what, what Jesus tells them, you'll know these who are my disciples for their love one for another. Which means we, we are born into a very broken, sinful, ugly world that we are craving love from, but feeds us a lot of hurt, pain, letdown, and disappointment. And that feeds and festers in our own spirits and soul. And then when we meet Jesus, when we meet love, the, the one who is love, when we meet God, God 
begins a process of, of, of sanctification and healing and deliverance in us that allows us to love more and more. And so he says, you know, those who love those who follow me, those who are my disciples for their love one for another, the, the identifying mark of discipleship is your ability to love others. And that is a very serious growth process. And as you interact with other people in community, you find out how hard it is to love people. It's easy to love people you have no relationship with. Is it? It is. It doesn't seem to be. It, it, is, it is easier to take care of somebody you don't know or do something for them sometimes than people who you do. Think about how many people do things for other people who they won't do with pe- for people in their own family. Yeah, no, that's true. Because you've got more influence and impact and relationship and history pulling on you when there is a relationship there already. And so it's through the interactions that God begins revealing to you through stress, through frustration, through tension, through conflict, that this is the area that's going to require growth and an elevation of love within your own heart for you to walk out and be a disciple. And many of us abort the discipleship process because we're not buying into the fact that God is, is helping us to increase our bandwidth of love, both for ourselves and for each other. We stay in situations we should not stay in because we're not buying into being able to love ourselves or, or love the others more. Um, or we don't stay in situations or give into certain situations because we're not willing to love. Love liberates and sets things free. Sometimes we, we want to hold on to things instead of setting them free and they need to be set free. Love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we want to hold on to the, to those sins and everything else and make sure that, that, that we remind them and everybody else that this sin has happened when love covers that. And these are, these are very difficult, arduous tasks that God is calling us to, but as a disciple, you wrestle with so that you can walk out of that love of Christ and exhibit it so that people see you and say, man, they must be a disciple because there's no way they could love like that without following <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's true. The, to love other people that, uh, that you don't know it should be easier. Uh, and it, it is easier and, and we find it to be easier without realizing it. Um, because you don't get into the mess and you don't know the mess. And it's just, I'm going to love you because that's what Jesus has called me to do in being a disciple. Yep. Can, can I make a, a, a scandalous, scandalous example? Oh, bring on the scandal. Scandalous example. I'll tell you, I'll tell you where this, where this meets the road. I know a number of situations where people will look at other folks' wives and they don't have the data of what it's like to be married and be that person's husband or be that person's wife, you know, be in that relationship. And they, in their own minds, will think that it would be easier to be in that relationship than it would to be in their own relationship. And they may even make the mistake. I hope they never do this. Oh, I'm afraid of where this is going. But they may make the mistake of saying, why can't you be more like Micah's wife? Oh. 
which it's, it's really saying that I think it would be easier to love Micah's wife. I don't know her that way. I have not been in a relationship. I've not been into nothing like that. Just from my outside perspective, I believe it would be easier to love her than it is to love you. And the statistics show us that that just is not true. Yeah. Because all intimate relationships and the deeper the level of intimacy, the more conflict and the more jarring uh, things are going to become because you begin hitting all these deep places within each other's souls and spirits and and wounds and all of that. They end up roaring out and it requires both of you to elevate in your ability to love in order to overcome. And it's easier to just look outside at something else to just say, oh, it would be easier if I was over there. No, it would not be easier. It would not be easier if you were in the church down the street necessarily. It's not going to be easier at the other job or the next job. At the end of the day, in whatever situation you're in, you want to seek God and elevate in your growth and ability to love. And God will move and do all the other things that that need to happen. But don't make the mistake that so many of us do and believe that everyone else is the problem. Yeah, this is this is something that even happens a lot in the dating world. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're dating your girlfriend. Uh, you know, at least I would be dating a girlfriend. We'll do it from my case. And. You know, you, you, you're frustrated with your girlfriend and all the stuff that comes with her, her baggage and all the stuff. And you see this other girl across the hall and you're like, oh, she's pretty. This, she would have to be so much easier. Oh, look how nice she is to, to that person or this person. Yeah. She's gotta be great. She, I bet she's a better fit for me. So you break up with your girlfriend and, and you go over to this, you know, girl and you try to, you know, eventually you get to know her a little bit and you start dating and then, then the world opens up and you got all this other baggage that you never saw because people, you know, you don't see all of it until you get into that relationship with them. And then it's like, Oh man, I had it so much better before. It's, it's the phrase, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side yep. and it works that way. And that's, and that's the the mess of relationships is you always think the other person's got to be easier to love because they don't have the mess. And it's when you get to know people that you're like, wow, this is hard and this is dirty. Um, yep. Or you don't, or you won't commit to the person that loves you and that you love and is right for you because in the back of your mind, you think somebody better may come along Yep. and, and you need to settle within your own spirit. If this is the person for you, you need to commit and be present with that person and build a life together. And if they're not the person for you, you need to let each other go instead of holding on to this, this interesting compromisation of relationship because you've got the greener grass syndrome. And so you're not fully present with that person, but you can't be fully present with the imaginary person either because they're imaginary. <laughs> the imaginary person is always great. They're perfect. The imaginary person they are perfect. So discipleship is about buying into God's love growth process, which is going to manifest and look a, a myriad of different ways depending on the relationship. But the commitment is I will figure out how to love through this and how to grow in love through this. And that's forgiveness. There's so many things. We won't jump down all those yeah. rabbit holes, those other podcasts for the future. But 
just know that your love and your ability to love is going to be challenged on each and every level when it comes to being a disciple. And you may even find yourself like Jesus saying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Yeah, that's just that's just Jesus being in the community. And, and we don't think of it that way. We think of like, oh, wow, Jesus is really saying something deep. And he's just like, I'm really frustrated again with these guys. They just don't get it. But let's continue and we'll try again. And we all, we all go through that. Yeah. We all go through that where you're working with a team and you're like, we have to go through this again. And you're frustrated, but that's discipleships. And it's like, nope, we're committed. I'm going, I am committed to making you better. I'm committed to you growing. And I know this is making me grow because I'm being challenged. It's, it's checking my patience and all these things. And it's, nope, that's just time to re-up the commitment and let's dive in again. And that's really, that's really what Jesus was dealing with there. And we don't talk about it that way. That's just Jesus at his core frustration of discipleship. And he's like, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let's go again. Yeah. Yeah. And what, and what helped Jesus with so much of this was Jesus knowledge. This is a good segue into our last point today. Uh, I don't know if it was great, but it was a segue. Nonetheless, it works. It happened to be a disciple means that you are a scholar, not a scholar necessarily like Micah, who has been to seminary and, and learned so many great things from other great scholars of many, many different areas of divinity. What it is saying is that you are studying the show yourself approve a good workman, rightly dividing the word of truth. You are buying in to reading the Bible and getting a deeper understanding of the context of the Bible, the meaning of the Bible, studying and, and reading other things. You're not just buying into whatever is being said by the preacher on Sunday morning or by the teachers or by the deacons. You're actually buying into your own scholarship. They completely uh, are amazed and confound uh, many of the Pharisees and other leaders of their time these disciples I'm talking about because they said, whoa, and this is in the book of Acts. So this is after they've been a disciples and the great commission has happened. Wait, aren't these uneducated? Aren't these unlearned men? They don't talk like that. They, they seem like they have a deeper knowledge and understanding of just Joe Smo. And that was because they had bought into Jesus uh, institution of education. They walked with Jesus and, and they engaged with Jesus on a deep intellectual level. And it wasn't just heart. It was loving the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and your soul. And because of that, that challenged them in their thinking. Jesus consistently challenged them in their thinking and, and kept them thinking of things differently, speaking in parables and all these other things. And so there is this scholarship aspect that we buy into as disciples. The Bible says above all things, get an understanding, which means that's very confusing because God keeps taking you through situations that you won't understand. But through that, you are still to seek out understanding and God will give profound revelation and insight and knowledge. And in hindsight, you will be able to speak to others about what you have experienced with great depth and understanding because of how you have bought into God's educational plan of scholarship. 
Yeah, that's that's why we uh, call ourselves Bereans. Yes. That's why we say, you know, uh, um, Bereans, which means we we study the scripture to see if what the preacher is saying, if what the world is saying, if what anybody else is telling us is so, to see if it is true. Uh, and it comes on on us to, to really study, to really dig in, to see is what they're saying truth or are they somehow misleading scripture to uh, to get to their own gain and benefit? And that's why it's so important to know it yourself. And that takes part, the scholarship takes part in that community as well. If you're studying books, you need to go to some other people in your community who's also studying these books to be like, what do they mean when they said this? Or, or this seems like, because even books you're reading, uh, while it's good to read books that you know don't speak full truth to what you know, you know the Bible is really all about, it's good to know what everybody else is saying. And you have to do that in it with community so you don't get misled. So it's good to go to your fellow disciples and say, hey, I didn't get what they were saying here, or this seems uh, to be wrong compared to what Jesus said here, to really know that. And then that helps you understand what the world is saying. Uh, Byron, you were saying to me the other day, you listen to some radio stations just to see what other people are saying. And I'm like, why are you listening to this? That's right, this, Reverend. This this makes no sense. Like, this just drives me crazy. I was in the car with you. I'm like, can we change the station? No. <laughs> and you're like, no, you got to know what other people are saying. Otherwise, how can you speak against it to your own disciples? That's right. And sometimes, and this is this is what amazes me, I learned some really good things from other perspectives. That that there was this piece of truth they had that that as I dissected and pray over it and, and seek the scriptures within it, I find out that, oh my goodness, this was good stuff. This was great stuff and, and it's meaningful to me. But now I can also speak to why, from my perspective and from a biblical standpoint, they went off track over here. Yeah. Yeah, this that that attitude in, in scholarship is so important to make sure uh, your knowledge is diverse and to know that your knowledge is, is broad enough to know how to speak against things. Uh, if we're only following a certain set of plans, a certain books that... If you got up front and said, hey, here's 10 books that you need to know, and that's it, and they speak truth through the Bible, you're missing out on so much so more. Much. Uh, and then I'm only understanding your version of the Bible and what you believe to be the best. But that doesn't speak to me, and that doesn't allow God to speak to me either if I'm not really digging into more and, and trying to find out all the truth that the Bible has to hold. That's right. And in 2018, we are without excuse. These principles were given to us when there was no printing press. There was little access, especially depending on who you were, uh, to the teachings. But now you can get the Bible app for free and you don't even have to read it. It will read itself to you. You can download books on Audible or, or anywhere else. You know, and again, you don't even have to read it. You can listen to it in your car instead of reading everybody's Facebook post or instead of being on Instagram and checking out everybody's my story all evening, which I get caught up in doing. I must admit, um, instead of doing that, you could actually just listen or or entertain or or go to a lecture or or a sermon being preached in your city, your town tonight somewhere. Somebody's in revival at some church right now. It's close to you, you know, 
it's accessible. We, we are without excuse. We don't have the convenience of saying there's no way because we are listening to somebody, something, saying something every day. And there's so much background noise and we're always constantly engaging with it that it's that with it's so normal. We don't even realize how much time we're spending doing it. And God's saying, hey, just can you study me for a moment? Can you can you spend some time with me for a moment? Can you listen to the word of God? Can you listen to a sermon? I mean, it's amazing. Most people, it seems, can pull up on the Internet right now. I don't know how many sermons from just this past Sunday that were preached in churches across the world. We are without excuse when it comes to scholarship because everyone, for the most part, if you are a part of a church in America, has access to scholarship materials. Yeah, it's what I do. I uh, am in the car half an hour to work uh, every day to work half hour home. Uh, when I'm at the gym, when I'm washing dishes, I am listening to an audiobook. book. Uh, drives my wife crazy. She hates being read to, but it's what I do and it's how I engage. Uh, and it, it allows you to get through so much more than you ever realized. Yep. Um, especially for somebody like me, who's, if I'm going to sit down at the end of the day, I want to watch TV. So it allows me to, to read the books that I want to read. So uh, Byron, before we close, yes. real quick, give me the list again. What does it take to be a disciple? All right, here we go. This is the Cliff Notes version. To be a disciple, you must follow Jesus. And in following Jesus, you must follow one God and be faithful to God and aspire to do that and deal with the obstacles that come that way. But two, be connected to other disciples who can help disciple you. Out of that, you disciple others. And you get to that place of being able to disciple others, others by one, growing in your love for one another, and two, being a scholar in God's Institute of Higher Learning. Great. Well, that's, I think that's it. Is that it? That's it. It seems so simple, but it's, it's a lifelong journey uh, to it get is. to what it means to be a disciple. And you're always growing, you're always being challenged. Uh, and I think that's also the beauty of it is to know that it's a journey that you're going to be walking on uh, and not by yourself. Uh, yeah. You're going to do it with your, with your friends, with your family. Yep. I do want to say this one thing before we close today, Micah, um, on this past Saturday, we lost the father of black liberational theology, yeah. Dr. James Cone, who went home to be with the Lord and, uh, many of us are are grieving that that loss, but also celebrating such a wonderful and great life that was lived. And and so, uh, I want to acknowledge him, acknowledge the impact that he's had on my life personally. I, I don't know where I would be theologically without his contributions and and his spirit. And uh, I know that he's gone on and he has fought the good fight. And he's finished his race, but he will be missed, terribly missed down here. But hopefully we will all be able to pick up the cross and, and continue on uh, with the great work that he started and lived here. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a shock. Um, and he has had an influence on so many people. Um, 
for those that don't know who he is or want to know more, what book would you recommend for them to start with? There's so many great books that, that you can read of uh, Dr. Cohn. Um, I definitely would encourage you to read A Black Theology of Liberation um, and The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Those are, are two um, particulars. The, the A Black Theology of Liberation is going to give you kind of the, the beginnings of, of Black liberational theology and what he was wrestling with. But, I mean, he wrote that in the seventies, I believe it was maybe late sixties. So it was the beginning. And you want to put it in this context of really seeing the movement of civil rights and everything happening. There are so many people. Um, it was Dr. Bill Turner who told me if it wasn't for, uh, James Cone that he doesn't know if he'd even be a Christian because James Cone's theology was the first theology, Christian theology that spoke to him as a black oppressed man growing up in this era. And uh, as a matter of fact, he told me, he said, many of them, many of his peers probably would have been Muslim, but because of the work of Cone, they gave their lives and and, and gave themselves to the work of the cross um, that was made, uh, that was extended to them through this theology and saying that, that, that Christ is for you. Wow. You know, God of the oppressed is another one that, that really speaks to it. So so those three, a black uh, theology of liberation, God of the oppressed, the cross and the lynching tree. You can't go wrong. <laughs> yeah, you, you really can't. You can't. Uh, it's definitely good. Good place to start. You want to pick up on the scholarly side of what it means to be a disciple. So here's a quote from Dr. James Cone. Indeed, our survival and liberation depend upon our recognition of the truth when it is spoken and lived by the people. If we cannot recognize the truth, then it cannot liberate us from untruth. To know the truth is to appropriate it, for it is not mainly reflection and theory. Truth is divine action entering our lives and creating the human action of liberation. That's Dr. James Cone. Wow. All right. Well, I, uh, I hope you enjoy your reading of James Cone. Uh, it's going to be challenging. It's going to stretch you and grow you uh, in your path on discipleship. Well, that brings us to our end. Byron, thank you, as always, for being here. Woohoo! Thank you, Micah, for being such a wonderful co-host. Oh, you're very welcome. Uh, And as Jesus said, in your journey to discipleship, little girl, I say to you, arise.